Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is Christy Haberman, your host, along with Kai the Wonder Dog. We took last week off. I was struggling a little bit with um, Christopher's birthday. All of those memories just come rushing back, and it's just hard to stay in the present moment. On his birthday, I took a road trip with one of my friends. We ended up not going to Wyoming, but we did tend to have Um, a pretty nice day. But about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd had enough. And I'm actually kind of experiencing experiencing some eye problems. And so I couldn't see, which I think is connected to his birthday. So in the emotional mind-body connection, when you're having trouble with your eyes, it's the inability to see what's right in front of you. So what's right in front of me is Christopher's birthday. I didn't want to be experiencing it that day. So my eyes were crying and which is different than actually crying because when I looked into the sun, my eyes just started crying. So that was the day. I tend to be on autopilot until his death day on June 19th. And then things kind of normal out for a while. So an interesting thing happened. So I didn't go to the cemetery on his birthday. And I didn't go to his the cemetery the day after just because, I don't know, it's just hard. It's hard to go see him at the cemetery and know that that's all I have left of him. It was just heartbreaking. But while we were there, so we were cleaning up the grave. I was taking pictures like I usually do. And these two men stopped us and it was memorial day and they had these name tags on and they said who are you celebrating today and i was really mad i was like why are you interrupting my time with my son and so we said our son and so he he was like do you want to talk about him for a while me and roger looked at each other and we're like uh no (laughs) and i i wasn't surprised by my reaction but i was surprised by my husband's reaction And when I talked to him later, he said he didn't know what they were going to do with the information. Like once you tell that story, like it's just out there. And people hear it and people, yeah. And so we just decided and they continued on to bother other people that were in the cemetery. You know, and some people find it comforting to hear, you know, religious talk. So there was the danger of that, because I have very strong feelings about um, having my child die. It's it's a struggle that I've struggled with, and it's not something I want to share with two strangers that are walking through a graveyard. So I'm not really sure what they were there for, but there they were. So I was thinking about that, and it was such such a weird experience. And then I went back to work, and everybody's talking about what they did for the weekend. 
And it's so funny. 12 years ago, I would have shared. So I went to the cemetery. I mourned my son. This year, I just sat and listened to people and didn't share. And I kind of tested a couple of people. I know that's not fair to test people, but I did. Well, it was someone that I'm kind of close to at work. And I said, yeah, tomorrow's Christopher's birthday. And he's older, like in his 70s. Um, but it's like I hadn't even spoken. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Why would you not say I'm so sorry or anything like that? And then there was one other person. I can't remember who I said something to about it. Oh, it was someone else that's always telling me about her issues and what's going on in her life. And I shared mine and just silence, silence. So all of these years, I'm really starting to notice who shows up for you and who doesn't show up for you. And then ironically, someone that went out of my life years ago, uh, when I was very spiritual, um, came back into my life this week. And I didn't know what to say to them. I I told them I'm not I'm not the way I was. Like I just I used to be the type of person that would give freely of myself. Oh, you needed someone to talk to. I'd give you an ear for hours and not expect anything in return. I was this laughing, bubbling person, and I helped everyone, at least emotionally. I had a lot to give. I mean, I was a counselor. I, you know. My friends, I'll listen to your problems, give you suggestions, give you some advice. That's just that's just who I was. And then Christopher died. And I've been in this cocoon of grief for a while. And then I come back. I'm starting to come out of it. I attribute a lot of it to this podcast. I cannot encourage those of you that listen to me. All 20 of you on a regular basis. I appreciate each and every one of you. But I want to say, I knew from the time that Christopher died that I wanted to do this, that I thought I had something to say that would help people. And I'm not sure if it's because I feel like this is my purpose that it's helping me um, cope with Christopher's death better, or if it's I'm talking about it. But if you have that burning desire within you, that you feel like after you lost your loved one that you need to do this, I highly recommend you go out and do whatever that thing is. And I also encourage you to talk about it. Talk about it with people. And doing this podcast has forced me to go deep within myself and really examine the impact of grief on my life so that I can talk to you about it and I hope that in this process that there's some information that helps you, that helps you get through this. But anyway, so back to this person that's come into my life. And so what they were requesting of me is to have those kind of conversations again. What is really sad, I don't have it in me. I just don't have it in me anymore. They are probably going to listen to this podcast, so that's okay. I mean, I just don't have it in it in me anymore because so many many people have come into my life and they've walked out of my life and I just don't know if I can handle any more people walking in and out of my life it's just hard 
I just don't have, like, it's like Christopher Dine took it all away from me. Like, all my emotional energy got spent, and I'm just, there's nothing left. And so, at work, too, that came up. They were like, Christy's not a warm, fuzzy person. Now, people that knew me before Christopher died would totally disagree with that statement that Christy's not that Christy's not a warm and fuzzy person because I was. I would walk into a store and meet people and talk and I I am not like that anymore. And they said I'm kind of standoffish. I am. 100% am. Um I don't share much of myself anymore. So I don't have much to give. And that and that's been a really sad realization over the last couple of weeks is just really how impactful my son's death was on who I am, which made me start thinking about complicated grief disorder or prolonged grief disorder. And it was just recently added into the diagnostic manual for therapists. Now, when I went to school, like 20, it's been, it'll be 22 years this year. No, 21, 21 years this year. And complicated grief wasn't in there. And so I was like, so why would they create a a disorder called complicated grief disorder? Telling you it's all about payment. There was a recognition, I believe, among clinicians that Grief impacted people so harshly and they seen people suffering that they wanted to put a name to it. So understand, and I've said this in a couple other podcasts and I'll say it again on this podcast, diagnosis drives treatment. When you go to a therapist and you want to use your insurance, you are going to get a diagnosis. And that diagnosis is going to enable that therapist to treat you. So also your diagnosis also drives treatment. So the therapist knows what to do with you when they give you, i.e., a diagnosis. So I believe that this complicated grief disorder or this prolonged grief disorder is just a means in order to get paid for providing counseling to people that are grieving. And I most certainly, if I went to a therapist, I'd be diagnosed with prolonged grief disorder. So complicated grief is a term for grief that is more intense or lasts longer than a culture may consider typical. So how come, here's the question, how come the cultural considerations aren't wrong instead of the grief being wrong. That's my first issue. And I also was doing some research on this and it says that, you know, most experts don't agree with the fact that there's a complicated grief disorder. So they say it's stigmatizing and it's a hundred percent stigmatizing that you go into a therapist and they say, oh, well, you have a disorder. Well, no, I don't. I'm just missing my child. And the other thing that they were worried that it might pathologize grief, which is making it an illness instead of a normal experience. 
So I also have an issue with that also because losing a child is outside the norm of experiences. So I don't know how you could judge someone based off of the fact that their child died because that is not a normal experience. Yes, lots of children die, but it is not the norm. So you're taking something that's abnormal and you're applying normal standards to it. But again, we need to be thinking about the fact that this is a way to get paid. So I looked at some of the symptoms from the DSM. So it says, elevated and persistent mental distress following the loss. I still have grief brain. I still struggle with sleep, spend 12 years. I still get random moments where I start crying where because I'm missing Christopher. And I was trying to explain that to someone and she just looked at me like I was, it was this person I reached out to that I thought might move a relationship into a deeper relationship, not happening. Um, but you always got to try, right? So I was explaining to her, because she has some of her own struggles, that when you lose a child, the grief is always right there. Like I operate in the world where I am always sad all the time. When things are going okay and I'm not stressed and I'm taking care of myself, I won't dip down and start crying and go into the depression that comes with Christopher being gone. But during this period of time from his birthday till his death day, I will 100% start having more anxiety, start having more depression, I'll start having um, crying spells. But unlike the people that wrote the DSM, I understand that to be the fact that I'm grieving and my son died. So the other thing that they said was part of this prolonged grief disorder is maladaptive thoughts, like you're blaming yourself. Avoiding triggers. You can't manage your emotions. Health problems. Social isolation. You know, all of those things happened that were beyond my control. Every single one of them. Said associated with the higher risk of suicidal ideation and behaviors. Well, of course. Of course. To me, that's just an of course. But then are you misunderstanding it? Because I will say, especially in the beginning, that I want to see Christopher again. But the only way to see Christopher again was to die. Like, the varying degrees. But we all, it, there's some things that connect all of us within, within that grief state. And I kind of feel like they took that and put that into a disorder. And I wish that it was only for payment. But I'm wondering how many medications get sold to people, how many um, therapies people go through when their therapist or whoever is working them with them doesn't teach them that grief is grief and you have to learn to manage it. Just like you do any other chronic illness, you have to learn to manage it. You know, and I don't think it's fair to compare people that have lost spouses either. Because I've heard that too, is that 
you know, losing a spouse, losing a spouse is traumatic without a doubt, but it is nowhere near what it is of losing a child. There's research out there that says 18 months is about the regular amount of time that someone gets over losing a spouse, or at least they move on to adaptive functioning. Me, if you ask me, and I'm evaluating myself, I don't evaluate other people, but I'm evaluating myself, I would say that 2020 is when I got back to normal functioning. And so what happened was I was really uh, um, into the spiritual aspects of life. And one day I realized that my life was never going to get better till I focused on the here and now, what was happening today. And that's when I started to get better. That's when I started to do the podcast. And that's when these things started to come through. But I'm not going to say that, oh, I'm healed and I don't have grief anymore because that's not true. It is so not true. There are days that I just want to stay in bed and I just want to cry because I miss Chris so much. And it's just so hard, so hard. That's what I think these people are missing when they come with these grief disorders. So there, if there's any message that I want to give to you guys, it's that keep in mind, if you're diagnosed with one of these, it's that it's for payment. Don't let it define who you are. And don't buy into the fact that there's that you have a mental illness because you're grieving. Everybody needs counseling at some point in time. There's no shame in it. And if there's somebody in your life that is giving you a hard time because you got this diagnosis, then they need to not be in your life anymore. Or if they are in your life, you just need to minimize the information that you tell them or the information that they share with you. You just need to turn it off. And I've lost people, friends, relatives, that just can't deal with me and my grief. But that, to me, is a problem with them and not with me. So the other thing that I wanted to tell you when I was having this conversation, and I never thought about it. So I've been doing this podcast for two years, and I never thought about this. So when Christopher first died, I'll take you through this. I've always been a journaler. So I've been journaling since, you know, since my 20s. That's was about 30 years ago. So like, and I have ADHD. And one thing with ADHD, it's hard to stay consistent. So I had journals and then I stop and I have journals and then I stop, I have journals. And so I've always been a journaler. So right after Christopher died, I started writing. The other thing that I did is I started meditating. And then I started reading. So I read as many grief books as I can find. Um, I like biographies. I wanted to know what other people's experiences were. I wanted to know how they survived. I wanted to know if I was normal. I wanted to know if their experiences were similar to mine. Because I honestly thought there was something wrong with me because I was grieving so hard. I had no idea it was going to be as bad as it did. And that shook me to my core. I cannot even explain how much. And then I went to counseling. 
First year went by, still meditating, still journaling off and on, still going to counseling. And then I want to say my counselor quit on me because he kind of felt like I'd gotten to a place that I should be good, but I wasn't good. I think he was just tired of hearing about it. And he was a good counselor and stuff happened with my insurance. So I just quit. So then I started doing alternative things like doing Reiki, um, doing energy medicine. I've always been interested in crystals. um, So I started reading that kind of stuff. And I was still meditating. So then I moved on to um, guided meditations and relaxation. I was also at the same time taking medications. I started doing different treatments, like mind-body treatments, trying to get my mind. And then I went back to counseling again. So over the last 12 years, I've done anything. I And then essential oils. Oh, I forgot the essential oils. And then I did essential oils. So I've done everything that I can possibly do to make myself feel better. So this person that I was talking to, and I didn't realize that. I was like, she's really struggling. And I was like, well, when Chris died, I did this and that, all the things that I just listed for you. And I had to really stop. And then I talked to my husband and said, I didn't realize that I had done so much to make myself feel better. Then I wrote my book, That Help. I've been wanting to do this podcast forever. So off and on, I would think about what I was going to write. I was going to write down in my journal what I was going to write, what kind of ideas that I'd have. And then I'd do my research before I actually did what I needed to do which was actually to pick up the microphone and actually do it. I actually purchased my microphone for my podcast a year in advance. That's how long I'd been thinking about it. I wrote my book in 2015. It was published. That's how long ago that I knew I wanted to do this. So for me, it took a very long time to get to, to get to this. But throughout that journey, I did so many different things to try to make myself feel better before I started to learn to accept that my grief wasn't going away. And once I learned to accept that my grief was not going to way, going away, and that I had to learn to start taking care of myself, because in those grief moments, and it's just me, Because people aren't going to be there for you. And if you have someone that's there for you, wonderful. I mean, my husband's there for me. but And my best friend is there for me. But they're not always there when you need them to be there. So you have to depend on yourself. And you have to depend on yourself to get through those moments. So if there's anything that you take away from this podcast today is to try anything to make yourself feel better. Try to avoid the stuff that... You know, it's going to get you into trouble like alcohol or um, illegal medications. (laughs) Um, The problem with those things is once they wear off, your grief is going to come back and it's going to come back worse because you didn't deal with it in the moment. So try to find some healthy coping mechanisms. Yoga is one. I have an inner ear imbalance, so yoga doesn't really work for me. 
but I know lots of people that have done it and said it's very, very helpful. Just do things that make you feel better. Eat good foods. And hopefully, you'll learn to cope with the grief. I hope this podcast was enlightening for you today. I enjoyed doing them. I've been trying to focus on being in the present moment. If you would like to come on my podcast and talk about anything, I would I would greatly appreciate it. I love to hear other people's stories. I think that's what makes me a therapist. Um, don't worry, I won't be counseling you because that's unethical. We'll just have a conversation like two grieving mothers would do. And I'll listen. This is where I'm focusing my attention and this is where I'm focusing on my emotional energy for other people like me that might be feeling alone. So thanks for listening. This is Christy and Kai, the Wonder Dog, signing off. I'm over on Instagram, Grieving Insomniacs. I'm on Facebook, Grieving Insomniacs. I have some affiliate links I post on Facebook. Reach out to me through my email, which is grievinginsomniacs at gmail.com. For some reason, Google Chrome isn't letting me to stay signed into that one. So it's much faster if you reach out on Instagram or Facebook. And I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for listening.